Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to internet radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern-day fundraising success, and practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. Guests on The Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on Radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome here to the latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. I can't thank you enough for joining us today because we are just coming back uh, from our summer holiday here on The Nonprofit Coach. I hope everyone had a terrific break. I certainly did lots of time uh, with family and friends, uh, Beach and Son, uh, and now back here at the helm of the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show. Of course, we've got a big show for you today because coming back from uh, such a long break over the summer means that we've got lots of special guests here on page one that we will get to, uh, and then we've got an outstanding page two expert uh, for you today. Uh, and our page two expert today will be Reed Zimmerman, a PhD, CFRE and his terrific new book, The Seven Deadly Sayings of Nonprofit Leaders, and more importantly, How to Avoid Them. As the announcer mentioned, this is a live call-in show, so you and your friends can call in at 347-324-3080. You can also uh, join us uh, over in the chat room. Uh, I see a few folks over in the chat room, so uh, glad to have you there. You can ask questions uh, over in the chat room. And you can also email me today at tedhart at tedhart.com. Dot com. As always here on The Nonprofit Coach, we start the show with page one news. Page one news, we generally join, uh, are, are sent uh, many links uh, for various topics uh, for us to follow here on page uh, one news, and we will have that for you uh, again starting next week. We'll have a few of those over at tedhart.com. But again, just coming back off from the summer break, we have so many of our experts that uh, we need to get caught up with. We need to l- learn from them and uh, uh, get updates from them. And uh, one of our uh, good friends over at Blackboard, uh, Catherine LaCour. Uh, Catherine, do I have the uh, pronunciation of your last name correct? You sure. You sure do. Terrific. Catherine, you're here with us from Blackbaud. You're the Vice President of Corporate Marketing. Uh, thrilled to have you here on the show and, and so excited about what's going on next week. Bring us up to date with BBCon 2015. Great, Ted. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. You know, Very excited to be here and, and really hard to believe that we're less than a week away from BBCon 2014. Uh, As you know, we've moved the location this year. We're hosting the conference Monday, October 6th through Wednesday, October 8th at the Gaylord Opryland Resort and Convention Center in Nashville, Tennessee. 
So everyone over here is geared up, geared up with their cowboy boots and excited because there's a lot of new things happening and announcements that are being made at BBCon. Uh, you yeah, know, helping us kick off. Exciting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I was just going to say it's always exciting uh, to be part of BBCon and the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show uh, has uh, been uh, part of BBCon uh, for many years now. We're going to be back live uh, from BBCon next week. That's going to be Tuesday, October 7th. Uh, we're going to have the extended version as we normally do uh, for uh, uh, BBCon because there's just so much going on at BBCon. We're actually going to be 90 minutes next Tuesday starting at 12 noon. Yeah, it's great. We're really excited to have you hosting the show live again from our expo hall and, and have you speak also, I think, Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, I'm really excited to have uh, both of those uh, opportunities. So, tell us uh, a little bit about this about this move, what the the meaning behind the move is from DC uh, to Nashville, and, and what do you think that's going to mean to the overall BBCon conference? Yeah, so the move this year was, um, you know, just to allow, you know, we're, we're actually moving to Austin next year as well, so we're excited about that. And this is just an opportunity to move BBCon around to give the opportunity for hopefully more nonprofits to come. I mean, we will be back in D.C., I am sure, in the future. Um, and, uh, you know, just excited to go someplace like Nashville where there's a lot of, you know, a lot of energy and a lot of excitement. You know, one, for example, one of the um, opportunities that we have by going to Nashville is that we have singer-songwriter Phil Vassar joining us Tuesday evening. And what Blackbud wanted to do is put on a special concert to celebrate and thank, you know, all the nonprofit attendees that are there for all the hard work they do and all the great, you know, great work that they do in the world. So, you know, moving to someplace like Nashville gave us an opportunity to, you know, to put on a special concert like that. Well, that, that, that sounds like a lot of fun to begin with. Um, but uh, tell us about the registrations and how big is I mean, we, we've been part of BBCon for many years, and it just seems mm -hmm. to keep getting bigger and bigger uh, every single year. And, and even, even before you start growing like that, I always would tell people that one of the best-run conferences anywhere in North America is the BlackBot Conference, now known as BBCon. Uh, it just keeps getting bigger. It does. Well, I, first of all, I appreciate I thank you for the, the compliment on, on how it's run. I mean, we take a lot of pride in BBCon, and, and it is big. I mean, we have about 2,000 people there. And, you know, one of the, the great things about BBCon is, you know, it's not just for our customers. It's for the industry. And, um, you know, we've got one of, for example, one of the things we're doing this year is we've added a new session called the Big Idea Day. And what we really wanted to do is bring, you know, industry leaders together to talk to um, the attendees about thought-provoking trends and industry um, best practices so that they could provide attendees with insight, uh, you know, expertise and strategies needed to help them make a greater impact on their organization. And, you know, one of the benefits and one of the, the reasons we, people like to attend is they want that ability to, one, not only network with their peers, but to learn and share ideas. And we're going to have over 160 sessions that allow them to do that. And many of these sessions qualify for CPE and CFRE credits. Well, that, that's terrific, and, and we have, uh, just, just by way of uh, reference for you, uh, we, have, uh, we will have our CFRE Minute uh, today here on page one here on the Nonprofit Coach. Every month, uh, CFRE comes back here on the Nonprofit Coach uh, to share what's going on at CFRE. And again, coming back after uh, the summer break, we've just got everybody all lined up here today. So we will have our CFRE Minute, and I'm thrilled to, to know that folks who uh, attend BBCon uh, can get that added benefit of, uh, of collecting uh, the, the sort of uh, certification points that they need to go for CFRE. That's great. And you know, Ted, I should mention too, with the Big Idea Day, you know, anybody that can't join, I know that you're going to be interviewing a few of the um, session leaders. I know Shannon Doolittle and Vanessa Chase, who are doing a session on thought, um, thoughtful engagement to retain supporters, and Doug Barker, who's doing a session on how to harness data-driven culture. So if people can't come, they can get the Cliff Note version by listening to your interviews with them on Tuesday. Well, I, and I really appreciate that. And of course, the show, it just as all shows of the Nonprofit Coach, um, will be podcast immediately afterwards, so everyone will be able to uh, benefit from these uh, these experts. Uh, I can't thank you enough, uh, uh, Catherine, for coming on the show. 
giving us a peek into BBCon 2015. I'm looking forward to being with you uh, next week and getting a chance to spend time with all of our friends at uh, BlackBot. That's Catherine LaCour uh, joining us, uh, probably on her way, packing her bags, getting ready to go to <laughs> Nashville. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing her there. She's a BlackBot's Vice President of Corporate Marketing. Catherine, thank you for joining us here on The Nonprofit Coach. Appreciate it. And just so everybody knows, there's still time to sign up. They can go to bbconference.com and register through Friday, and you can come on site. And we do have one-day registration passes, so don't miss out. It's going to be an exciting event. Oh, that's terrific. Well, then, then if you haven't gotten uh, registered yet, pack up the car, pack up the bags, and we'll all (laughs) see you in Nashville. Catherine, look forward to seeing you there. See you there, Ted. Thanks so much. You got it. Next up here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach, uh, as I mentioned, uh, each and every month, uh, we have uh, uh, one of our good friends from CFRE International uh, here with us. Uh, we have a new representative, and I'm looking forward to getting to uh, to know George Hamilton. It's my pleasure to introduce you uh, to my audience. George, you are the CFRE International's new marketing and membership manager. Uh, thank you for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach. Well, thank you, Ted. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and introduce myself to, to your audience and talk a little bit about uh, my position, which is a new position for CFRE, um, and what it's going to mean for not just people who you know, currently hold the CFRE credential, but basically to, to executives throughout the fundraising um, profession. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited well, to be here. Some and big, thank you big for having shoes me. to fill. You have some big shoes to fill. We've had the CFRE Minute uh, for quite some time now. Uh, as you have probably been told, the format is yours. Uh, you, have, you don't just have strictly a minute. We let you have a little bit more time uh, to tell us what is new and what's going on at CFRE. Well, I mean, the biggest thing that is new is, is the fact that I, I've come on board as the uh, marketing and membership manager, and that's a new position at CFRE. Um, and, you know, it, I want to talk a little bit of sort of what it really speaks to. Um, and it speaks to um, how the organization is really putting priority behind um, not just growing the number of people who hold the credential, but also growing the the respect in which the credential is held throughout the globe, um, and and truly positioning it as a global global certification for fundraising executives. Um, so I just wanted to you know share with your your listeners a little bit about myself um, and what I'll be doing at CFRE um, to hopefully you know impact the CFRE credential and its in its recognition and the respect it's held with um, throughout the world. Um, I, I bring to CFRE about 18 years of uh, marketing and membership um, development within the nonprofit sector. Uh, most recently, I was with, with the American College of Nurse Midwives. And what I'll be doing at CFRE um, is developing and implementing strategic marketing and engagement plans within four key areas. Um, the first being to raise the profile and level of respect of the CFR credential, both domestically and abroad. Um, of course, we want to draw more folks into the into the certification process to, to get the CFRE credential um, and also provide the folks that hold the credential with value-added benefits and services um, to really enha- enhance their engagement with CFRE International and foster a community atmosphere among professionals holding the CFRE certification. Um, and then finally, I'm going to be working closely as a liaison with CFRE's participating organizations um, to strengthen and build on our relationships there. Um, so, you know, that really speaks to um, the commitment to elevating the standards of philanthropy that um, that CFRE International, you know, has um, through providing that provide that valid and reliable and respected certification process and credential to the fundraising professionals, um, both domestically and abroad. Um, just a, a quick, you know, recap of some of the stuff that we're doing right now. Um, we just began a major global positioning campaign. Um, within trade publications and websites that uh, is is designed to position the CFRE credential as a truly global measurement um, of accomplishment and professionalism and ethical practice within the fundraising community. Um, Your your listeners may have seen our ads starting to appear in the Nonprofit Times website and in their e-newsletters, places like Charity Village, um, and then internationally in Fundraiser Magazine in Germany, um, international um, we're, we're a sponsor of the International Fundraising Congress this year, um, so we're going to have a have a presence there. Um, 
in, in addition to you know placements on the AHP and AFP websites and e newsletters, and also in Canada um, through Charity Village. So we've got a fairly major campaign for, for CFRE going on right now, um, really designed around positioning it as a global certification process and a, a global credential. Um, so that's that's sort of the rundown of of uh, you know my arrival at, at CFRE and and sort of what it means hopefully for the for the profession and the organization going forward, um, and just a little bit about what we're doing now and where we're going. Well, George, welcome uh, to the family. Welcome to CFRE. Uh, great to have you uh, here on the Nonprofit Coach. We look forward to having you on often and giving us uh, updates on how our listeners can engage with CFRE, where they will see CFRE, what it takes to be um, certified with CFRE, all the things uh, that uh, our listeners are looking for uh, to be up to date on what is happening with CFRE. Uh, that's uh, George Hamilton, the CFRE's brand new international uh, marketing and membership manager here on the Nonprofit Court, the coach. And uh, George Hamilton will be back with us often with the CFRE Minute. Thank you, George. Oh, thank you very much, Ted. Appreciate it. You bet. Uh, next up here on uh, page one news is a, uh, another longstanding friend of the nonprofit coach, of course, our good friends over at GuideStar. Uh, Lindsay Nichols has been with us for a very long time, and she has a new colleague uh, who uh, we are introducing to our listeners today. Uh, Gabe Cohen is with us uh, today, and he's the media outreach manager uh, for GuideStar. Welcome here to the nonprofit coach. Hi, Ted. Thanks for having me on. It's nice to meet you. Well, Gabe, it seems like uh, the day for new people with all of our, our uh, <laughs> uh, regular updates here. We come back from summer, and uh, and everybody's got new jobs and new positions. So uh, thrilled to have you here, um, the partnership that we have with GuideStar and helping our listeners understand the importance of GuideStar. As you've probably been told, over at uh, GuideStar, we speak often here on the Nonprofit Coach of the Six Pillars of Success for Nonprofit Organizations. Uh, and the number two most important thing that successful nonprofits in the United States can do is to have a strong GuideStar strategy. And that's one of the reasons why we have GuideStar on every month here on the Nonprofit Coach, because we're big fans of GuideStar. Um, Gabe, you're now representing them, so it's up to you to provide us with the GuideStar Minute. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, and there's a few things that I wanted to share with your listeners today. Uh, the first thing that I wanted to share is that we recently released the 14th annual edition of our GuideStar Nonprofit Compensation Report, which remains the only large-scale nonprofit compensation analysis based entirely on IRS data. Uh, this report gives nonprofits the information they need to establish appropriate compensation and to demonstrate to grant makers, oversight agencies, and individual donors that the salaries and benefits they offer their executives are justified. I have a few highlights from this year's report, which is based on data from 2012. Um, the report found that for a 14th year in a row, median compensation for female CEOs lagged behind that of respective male CEOs by up to 23% depending on the organization's size. It also found that only 17% of organizations with budgets larger than $50 million had a female CEO, compared to smaller organizations with budgets less than a million dollars, the majority of which do have women CEOs. So we still are dealing with quite a gender gap when it comes to the nonprofit sector. In addition to that gender gap, the report also found that the economic uncertainty continued to affect compensation increases in 2012. Although salaries for CEOs retaining their positions had the highest percentage increase since 2008, which may indicate a sign, at the, a sign of light at the end of the recession tunnel. To find out more information about this year's report or to purchase a copy, your listeners can go to guidestar.org/compensation. Well, that, that's that exciting. To... Yeah, well, I just wanted to say, I mean, that, that that's exciting because. Um, one of the things that uh, it, we, we value about GuideStar, and one of the things I've mentioned many times on this show, is uh, that it's important for nonprofits to manage by fact. Uh, and what GuideStar does is, is provide facts that can guide and aid in management. Absolutely, yeah. And it, it's pretty spectacular to learn that something like this nonprofit's compensation report is based on almost 130,000 data points. 
so we really are, are it's a it's a pretty scientific method that we're using to come up with these numbers um the the next thing that i wanted to to share with your uh listeners is that uh, as a nonprofit ourselves we understand that it's sometimes difficult to evaluate our impact uh and and evaluate that impact based on a balance between hard data and personal stories of success that's why we created a GuideStar Impact Survey that we would love for your listeners to participate in. With this survey, we hope to better understand how the concrete tools GuideStar provides to the sector are helping nonprofits fulfill their missions, be it providing meals, sheltering the homeless, or increasing literacy. What we hope to learn with this survey is how you use our information to help achieve success. We strongly believe that the stories behind your good work are as important to the social sector's advancement as the numbers on an IRS form. We know the results from the survey will provide only a small snapshot of the work underway across the nonprofit sector, yet it is one step in helping us understand what we further do to help the sector. To take the survey, please go to npo.gs backslash impact survey 2014. These are important advances for, for managers to be able to have access to uh, to this uh, important information. I, I'm wondering, um, besides shows like this, um, how does uh, GuideStar get this information out to a wide audience? Yeah, you know, we, we have a multifaceted approach, I think, just like other nonprofits out there right now. And one of the tools that we we are using is our social media platforms, Twitter and Facebook, Google+, LinkedIn, um, as well as, as a few others. Um, and, and then also our, our daily blog that we have um, where we will internally uh, write blog posts as well as have uh, guest posters on there. And I think that's one of the best tools that we have. And that can be found at trust.guidestar.org. Okay. Terrific. And well, these are these these are incredible um, resources that uh, that that are available for uh, for nonprofit organizations. Uh, before I let you go, because we do have to get to our page two uh, expert who is chomping at the bit with a terrific absolutely. Book. Um, just give us uh, a little bit about you, Gabe Cohen, uh, and your position of media outreach manager at GuideStar. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been here a short three months uh, and uh, am getting caught up to speed on uh, all the things that we here at GuideStar do. My role as media and outreach manager is really to manage the activities that will increase our visibility as an organization. So again, that's social media, that's the blog, that's um, doing things like the, the GuideStar Minute with you uh, and, and anything else that we can do to really spread the impact that GuideStar has on the nonprofit sector. Well, you are always welcome here uh, on the Nonprofit Coach. We appreciate the partnership with GuideStar and having the GuideStar Minute uh, each and every month. Um, and we look forward to working with you on expanding into ideas. And, and one of the things we certainly want to do is uh, have you or someone else from uh, GuideStar come on as our page two expert to get into uh, some more of the detail here than we're able to do uh, on page one so we can give you the, uh, uh, the entire show. So let's work on that, Gabe. Uh, but for now, Absolutely. I'm going to have to let uh, Gabe Cohen go um, so we can get to our page two expert. Gabe Cohen is the media and outreach manager for GuideStar. Uh, welcome here to the nonprofit coach, Gabe. Thanks so much, Dad. You bet. Uh, we are now ready to head on over to page two. Now, don't forget that this is a live call-in show, so you can call in at 347-324-3080. Just press the number one button to let me know that you'd like to ask a question. I'll raise your hand here on the switchboard. Uh, my page two expert today is Reed Zimmerman. He lectures around the, the, the world. He is an organizational and development fundraising evaluation and strategic planning teacher and consultant with 30 years of experience in the nonprofit sector. Dr. Zimmerman is professor of practice at Hamlin University of Business, uh, teaching in the areas of nonprofit and public administration, leadership, and management. He also serves as adjunct faculty at the University of St. Thomas Graduate School of Business. So this guy's got long business credentials, which we love to have here on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, Mr. Zimmerman has been credentialed as a CFRE, so he's probably 
smiling from ear to ear as hearing our CFRE minute uh, and uh, the connection to the BBCon conference. Uh, he is here with us today as our page two expert, having just written a terrific book he's going to tell us about today, The Seven Deadly Sayings of Nonprofit Leaders, Avoiding Them in Your Organization, just published this year by Charity Channel Press. Welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach, Dr. Zimmerman. I'm delighted, Ted. Thank you for, for having me on today. I'm, uh, I'm curious to uh, start off uh, uh, by giving you an opportunity to fill in the blanks of what I may have not uh, emphasized enough or didn't quite get right about uh, uh, the introduction. Your, your experience, your background on this, uh, this topic area is very impressive. Thanks, Ted. Um, I guess, as one of my colleagues likes to call me, I, I consider myself a nonprofit pracademic. Um, combining both uh, practical experience of, of 30 years working in the, in the sector as an executive director, uh, communications director, uh, vice president of development, a number of different positions that uh, have, have provided me some of the hard knocks experience of what goes on, uh, can go on, or should go on in, in the sector itself and in organizations. And then for the last uh, pretty much close to a decade, I've had the opportunity and uh, challenge of teaching uh, graduate courses and undergraduate courses in nonprofit management and leadership. And it's exciting to see some of the, uh, the quality of young leaders that's, that's coming to the fore in our sector. I have been challenged by them and continue to be excited to, uh, to share with them what I've learned over these, these past uh, three-plus decades. Well, we certainly um, have reason to um, feel good about the future of the sector with uh, so many thoughtful uh, new young leaders coming into, uh, into the sector. Your new book is part of the In the Trenches series uh, uh, published by Charity Channel Press. As you know, they're strong partners here of the nonprofit coach, bringing us uh, top uh, academics and practitioners like you. Um, I, I have to say, when I saw your the, the title and they presented me with the with this book, uh, the seven deadly sayings of nonprofit leaders. I, I have to say, I didn't know where you were going with this because I I didn't know what could possibly have been uh, meant by a deadly saying. You know, and, and were they just words that if you utter them, they're 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 literally uh, horrible things to say. But then I realized as you were going through this, I think John Pratt. The executive director of the Minnesota Council on Nonprofits sort of sets the, the stage here um, in saying that uh, this is an effective and jarring wake-up call for nonprofit boards and managers. And so I, I'm taking from, from that and from uh, my read of the, the book that you intend to be provocative and you intend to shake people loose from where they're sitting right now. Is that right? Well, Ted, there's nothing better than a good story to set the stage for uh, challenging discussions and challenging conversation. And so the seven deadly sayings is really a, a, a kind of takeoff on the seven deadly sins um, right, right. brought to us by Dante and, you know, his, his associates. Um, but so often I've seen, as I work with nonprofits, um, very malicious, uh, maligning, and um, malignant uh, things going on in nonprofits that unless they're addressed, unless they're treated, unless they're uh, considered and challenged, will in fact lead to a nonprofit's demise. And, uh, and if not uh, outright demise, certainly an inability to function as fully and completely as anybody affiliated with the organization would want. I, uh, as a CFRE, uh, and as you just talked about with the CFRE Minute, I get called into nonprofits to help them fundraise quite often. People say, you know, there's a shift in our funding, and we need some help now fundraising from individuals, or uh, we need some help with uh, major donors, or we want to do a capital campaign feasibility study. Come in and help us, read. The challenge that I find all too often, is that the problem is not about fundraising. The problem that they're dealing with is more about governance or leadership, or it's about uh, policies and process that they're using or not using. It's about uh, 
implementation of good business practices in their organization, issues of structure, um, a variety of things that need to be corrected before they can get into doing appropriate, adequate, and uh, effective fundraising. So uh, what I tried to do in the book was draw out some of these issues. And it really was formed around the basis of a number of of other uh, products or um, entity, or not entities, but uh, documents that had been uh, written or developed, uh, particularly here in, in Minnesota, for the nonprofit sector. Um, if I can continue here, it's it's really about um, pulling some things together that are available, readily available, uh, but not uh, always so very usable. So Charities Review Council in Minnesota, which is the the Minnesota cousin of GuideStar, um, has a set of standards, just like GuideStar does. The National Baldridge Award, Baldridge Quality Award, is available for uh, nonprofits to use as well as to um, for for uh, business organizations and educational organizations. And then um, the nonprofit uh, principles and practices of nonprofit excellence developed by Minnesota Council of Nonprofits as well as some 20 or 30 other state organizations are also available. What I tried to do was to take those principles, standards, practices, and roll them together in a kind of a seven uh, facet look at how nonprofits could con- could be better than they are right now. We we talk about this topic so many times uh, here on the nonprofit coach. Expert after expert uh, shares with us sort of this you know, this this concern, and it, and it does keep coming back uh, to uh, governance. And I, I wanted to ask you, I, I, we'll, we'll, we'll try to get to as many of the, the, the seven deadly sayings as, uh, as we can, uh, but since you're the one who brought it up, I wanted to jump right to deadly saying number five. Our staff and volunteers are simply the best. Um, and why, how is it possible that by saying something like that, which, you know, sounds like such a nice thing to say, um, uh, actually is a, is a deadly thing to say for, for a nonprofit. Well, volunteers, like staff, need uh, training and feeding. And I think all too often we expect both our staff and volunteers to, uh, what's the old phrase, uh, do something with nothing, uh, and both in terms of uh, training and remuneration and resources for what they do. So we pass it off as well they're they're not paid what they should be so we can't expect them to do quality work or uh they're just volunteers and so we'll let them get by with uh doing mediocre uh work for our clients. And I I I see that uh happen too frequently where if we upheld the standards of quality work and provided our staff and volunteers with the resources they need, with the training they need to do the job, we would ultimately affect, in a positive way, our bottom line. Because, and, and it's sure it's not a short-term fix. It's a longer-term strategic look at how we as nonprofits can be as effective and efficient as we possibly can and provide the quality of services that the nonprofit sector is, is well known for. So, yes, it's deadly saying if we uh, continue to allow both our staff and our volunteers to slide because they don't get paid or because they don't get paid enough, um, we do our, our organizations and ultimately our clients, our patrons, our patients, our uh, participants a very uh, deadly service. So it's it's deadly to just simply sort of blanket say our staff and volunteers are simply the best if in fact they're not. Um, how do you call that out and how do you turn that around uh, if you have an organization where you know this is the case uh, or you start at an organization um, and find yourself with this sort of deadly saying being said all the time? 
Well, I think um, start a couple of places. One, uh, start and ask yourself, do we have a, a decent set of job descriptions? Uh, do we know what we want and expect and need from our staff and volunteers at all levels? And by all levels, I mean starting with the board chair, um, working to the board of directors, going down to senior staff and to program and line staff, uh, to going down to volunteers. Do we have job descriptions? They don't have to be extensive, but every volunteer wants ultimately to know that they are, are doing what's required of them, what's expected of them, what's asked of them, and that they're doing it well and appropriately. So starting with that is a, is a critical place to start. And then things like written conflicts of interest. Do we have those? Do people sign off on them? Do we talk to our staff and volunteers about ethics? about how they should respond if they see something that is inappropriate. How can we train our, um, our supervisors uh, not to be passive-aggressive but to deal with issues right up front? The, the book lays out each of these sayings in a way that allows uh, a practitioner, a program director, an executive, or board member to identify various levels of commitment or levels of uh, appropriateness, starting with, uh, and, it's, and it's kind of uh, maybe silly, but, uh, you know, stop, which is a, a red sign. Uh, caution means that there are some issues potentially around practice and, and transparency, which is yellow. Um, green means that you're doing good work. You've got your growing capacity, but we really want to be a blue ribbon, a superior uh, and really doing things that help our organization rise above uh, the the norm. And then finally, uh, what I'm calling the gold cup or preeminent practice. These are the organizations that are doing things so very well that they should be teaching uh, others in the sector about uh, how to go about doing some of the, the things that are critical in each of these uh, seven areas. Reed, how often do you find that that the essence of the problem is an unwillingness to ask enough, to engage enough, that, that oftentimes uh, leadership spends more time sort of avoiding uh, engaging volunteer leadership uh, than to, to actually find ways to work together. That's, that's fairly common, actually, and it relates to <clears throat> issues of um, what is the board's role? what are volunteers' roles in the organization, and what is the role of the executive or senior leadership. Um, there's the kind of um, attitude among some senior leaders that uh, let's, let's keep the board out of this. Let's not let them in. Let's you know, keep them kind of at, a, at an arm's length. And doing that really disavows uh, the the capability of the board of directors to be influential and to um, add voice and support to what's going on. We we need to remember that for good, bad, or indifferent, the board of directors are the community representatives to the organization. They are representative of the owners. Uh, I've heard many many students and. Uh, and new nonprofit leaders talk about my organization, my nonprofit. And I correct them very, very quickly that no, an a nonprofit is not owned by you. It's not owned by your board of directors. It's owned by the community. And the board of directors are the representatives of that community. Now, if they're not well representative, if they're not well positioned, then change some of the board members. Ask some of them to exactly. And I think there's always uh, a reticence to to engage that and to have high enough expectations, uh, perhaps on, on both sides of the ledger. Yes, yes. Uh, the board needs to hold the executive accountable and have help them to rise to the occasion. And if that's training that the executive needs, get them the training. Um, if it's a, a, a deficit in the ability of an executive to do some 
some piece of the organizational management, then find someone else to help with that piece. On the on the flip side, the executive and, and senior leadership needs to hold the board accountable. They need to remind the board of their responsibilities, and that means every board member needs to understand the financials. Every right. board well, member think, needs to understand more, the... I think that's, the, that, that's often for a lot of our listeners, um, that's the tough part because these are the people that hired you, these are the people who do your review, and how do you create a culture that they're holding themselves to a higher standard, that they're understanding that perhaps uh, just as they're holding the, the chief executive hopefully to a high standard, uh, they need to turn that mirror around. These, these are serious discussions that need to happen. Uh, they are not easy discussions, and this is where sometimes our, our passive-aggressive natures want to just let things slide until it gets to the blow-up stage, and then everybody blames everybody else. I think that the place to start with that is a, a very good, honest conversation between the executive director and the board chair. And both of those people need to agree that, that they will work together, that they will identify deficits, that they will talk openly about them, and that, that those two people, or perhaps three, maybe the vice chair or the treasurer, uh, along with the executive, need to, to come to an agreement on how frequently they need to meet to uh, deal with some of the issues. And then it's the responsibility of the board chair or the board chair and VP to identify to the board, here's what we need to do. It shouldn't be the left to the executive director to call the board to account. I'm so glad that you brought that up because that relationship between the chief executive and the board chair I think is the starting point and, and is the, the area that there needs to be frank and open and regular communication outside of the board meeting. And then, and then to look at how is the board structured. Um, what are the pieces? Is the board just getting together, as I've seen too often, uh, once a month for coffee and donuts and patting each other on the back and you know going about their merry way, or are they really understanding and reviewing what the the fiscal position of the organization is, um, what its staffing and structure is that's going to meet the uh, excellence and efficiency standards that it wants to set for itself? How is it operating? Is, does it have a committee structure that really supports the work, or are there committees that should have been disbanded years ago, or are there things that are not getting done because you don't have time at a board meeting? All of those issues are, are paramount to helping an organizational organization structure and, and grow efficiently. Exactly. Reed, we're going to take a, a very brief uh, break here. When we come back, and I definitely want you to cover the, the sayings that, that you think we need to cover today, but when we come back, I want to ask you to help us understand uh, the deadly saying number seven, uh, we're doing pretty well this year, uh, because I really could not agree with you more, and I want to make sure that our listeners understand why you feel that is um, one of the seven deadly sayings that nonprofits can say. And we'll be right back after this break. Thanks, Ted. Thrilled, of course, to be back here live on the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show. As you heard on page one, next week I will be coming to you live from Nashville, the site of this year's BBCon conference. We have the special annual extended version of the Nonprofit Coach, again, starting at 12 noon Eastern, but we're going to be going for an hour and a half uh, for this show. And I wanted to uh, just let you know some of the folks uh, who you're going to be hearing from live next week from BBCon. Sharon Doolittle and Vanessa Chase are going to be with us. Show the love, thoughtful engagement to retain uh, supporters. Mary Pat Donnellan is going to be with us uh, talking about uh, Razor's Edge uh, NXT uh, and Financial Edge NXT, uh, the announcement through the thought leadership perspective that was mentioned earlier uh, today. Leading with strategy, which I, I think is part of what Reed is talking about today, uh, budget for goals and engaging your leadership. Tom uh, Pate and, and Tony Bohr is going to be with us there. 
And then a leadership 2.0, again, driving right into what Reed is saying today. Doug Barker is going to be with us and how leadership can uh, use data appropriately to uh, grow your organization uh, and manage your organization. So don't miss a, that uh, a really packed show live from BBCon uh, next week here on The Nonprofit Coach. When you have a great idea and need to work with others to bring it to life, how do you do it? Sometimes it's tough because the people you work with are in different places, with different schedules, using different devices. Google Apps lets you bring ideas to life with others. Here's how. Start with email that offers more. Gmail does more than send and receive emails. It connects people and lets you chat instantly while viewing a snapshot of your team's relevant activities and access to everything they shared with you. With Google Docs, there's only one version for everyone to work on. Share easily with the right people without email attachments or compatibility hassles. And work together on the same docs at the same time in a way that simply makes sense. Edit and interact easily with integrated social commenting. Google Calendar makes it easy to share schedules and find times to meet and schedule or update meetings with a few clicks. Everyone can't be in the same place at the same time, but Google Apps lets you work together from any place. With multi-way video chat, you'll feel like you're all in the same room. While screen sharing and integration with Google Docs lets you work with more people from anywhere, on any device, even on your mobile phone or tablet. Work with any team at any time, from any place, on any device. Google Apps. Work in the future, today. To learn more, go to google.com slash apps. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And we are live here with Dr. Reed Zimmerman. Uh, his book uh, published by Guides, or by uh, the Charity Channel Press is The Seven Deadly Sayings of Nonprofit Leaders and How to Avoid Them. Reed is looking to shake up the nonprofit sector with effective and a jarring wake-up call uh, for nonprofit boards and managers. So why is it not a good thing to say, well, we're doing pretty well this year? Well, you know, Ted, I've, I've had the benefit over uh, the years of some pretty uh, exquisite and interesting and phenomenal mentors, uh, one of whom is Dr. Michael Patton, who is one of the nation's premier experts on program evaluation. And another uh, friend of mine is Brian Lassiter, the CEO of Performance Excellence Network. And, and he and um, others have asked the three-pointed questions. Uh, one is, are you any good? Is your organization any good? Um, is your nonprofit any good? And the second question, is it getting better? And then thirdly, how do you know? And I think that's the, the three basic kinds of uh, questions that lead into the uh, seventh deadly saying, we're doing pretty well this year. Well, how do you know that? What's, what's the difference for you between just doing good work and actually good results? And, and what do those results look like? What is the data that you are collecting and keeping to help communicate to your community the fact that you are accomplishing changes in people's lives, that you have outcomes that are uh, in, intended and appropriate and, and um, meant to be helping people get better in their situation? What's the, what's the impact your, your uh, organization is making on the community? 
read. I've, your... I've worked with so many nonprofit organizations and providing counsel uh, to these organizations that really don't measure anything more than the amount of money in their bank account. Um, and, and they really couldn't tell you anything more about how the organization is run uh, or managed than that. Um, well, and, and many, Ted, even can't figure that out in terms of what of that money in the bank account is eligible to be used to pay salaries as opposed to being restricted for other purposes. Now, uh, now you need to talk a little bit about that because, of course, then you're going to have board members uh, who are going to come forward and say, well, we own all of this money. All money is fungible. We can do as we like. Why is that not a true statement? Well, many grantors, particularly uh, philanthropic foundations and corporate entities uh, restrict their donations to a certain purpose or a certain time period uh, for a particular program or uh, to accomplish something that they particularly want to have accomplished. And I, uh, I took over one organization a couple of years ago as an interim executive where um, the wonderfully uh, uh, charismatic executive who had been in position for 34 years um, had left the organization $120,000 in, uh, in, in debt with $250,000 of restricted money in debt. So he had been using um, restricted dollars to pay unrestricted expenses and uh, still had managed to um, overspend beyond that. But it's not just about the financials. Um, when I was young in my career and um, working on some pretty questionable uh, academic deficits myself or business practice deficits, I was uh, telling my board of directors about the food shelf that we operated, and I could tell them exactly how many pounds of food we distributed into how many mouths or families and uh, how many of them were kids and how many were adults, etc., but I never bothered to ask anybody if the food that we gave them was usable, if they ate it, uh, if they were able to cook it, uh, or what it meant to them for, as a family to have that assistance. So it was a, a, a challenge for me to realize that what I had been doing was simply measuring outputs of the activities that we did as an organization never bothering to consider how did those outputs really create changes in people's lives. And that's something and of we course need that, to address. That's the difference, and that's why I really wanted to, to ask you, is, is this a deadly saying because nonprofits oftentimes either lack the resources or the willpower to go from good to great? Not yeah, Yes. Um, I was going to say not only good to great, but even uh, from mediocre to good. And I think that unless you're able to articulate as an organization, with your board, your staff, your key volunteers, if they can't articulate the value that you provide for people that come to you or that the community that supports you, pretty soon that community support is going to dry up. So the challenge is, as I said earlier, not about fundraising. You can do a good job of fundraising, but if you don't have the, the the backup detail, the the stories and the data to tell about what you're doing, people are going to start to question what you're doing with their money. And they don't owe you this money, so oh, no. that the the need to tell that story and to understand how you're actually doing what you're doing um, is tied to your ability to be successful. And just recently here in Minnesota, we've had a situation where the, the FBI came into one of our nonprofits and seized financial records, computer hardware, and shut them down, uh, leaving both the employees without jobs and the clients without a place to go for service because the board of directors was not paying attention, because there were some questionable financial practices, because the executive uh, director was potentially um, in, not necessarily fulfilling his responsibility to the community. All of those things are about management, leadership, governance, strategy, practice. And then when you get that house in order, then you can go about doing a great job of fundraising. It'll be easy. 
and it'll be fun. Exactly. We we have about six minutes left here on the show. These always go much faster than we would like, particularly when we have such a thoughtful guest as you. You have seven deadly sayings. We've had a chance to delve into two of them. Uh, is there is there one other that you want to draw out and, and draw attention to? And then I want to make sure that you tell my listeners how they can reach you, and we need to accomplish all of that in five minutes. Okay. <laughs> well, I would say... Um, it, it, the the one that I gets a, I get a kick out of it was not only here in nonprofits but it's in many places it's the statement we've never done it that way before oh yeah uh, or we or we've always done it this way and um, there was a, a a statement and I'm not going to be able to attribute it right now I should but the statement is uh, if you've always done it that way you're probably doing it wrong. Because we need to constantly be updating and addressing our processes, how we go about doing something. Times change. Um, electronic databases make things a lot better and different than they were with three by five cards. Um, or at the very least, even if even if it doesn't necessarily have to change, are you appropriately challenging yourself to ask that question or? Are you quite literally just doing it the way we've done it in the past? Exactly, exactly. And asking the question, is there a better way? Is there a faster way? Is there a less expensive way uh, to accomplish something? And, and establishing that culture in your organization that's constantly looking for it as opposed to saying, well, you know, this is the process we've got. We'll just keep doing it. Uh, that's a that's a totally different attitude that needs to be prevalent in an organization that is going to get better. Um, you won't you won't do that without looking at how you go about doing something. That's exactly. step by step. Asking those questions of yourself, challenging yourself, and and this is this is an area properly challenged where a board of directors can be uh, called to the fore to bring their business acumen, their connections in the, in the community to help rethink the processes that you've always used. Yes, uh, but with a bit of caution, because sometimes board members will want to jump into uh, changing organizational programmatic processes when they really don't have a, a good sense of what's really going on in an organization. This is often particularly true when uh, board members are also program volunteers. They see things that could be better, and they try to address it as an individual board member carrying that so-called authority, and the staff is really confused. Who are we reporting to, the executive or the board member? Board members need to, to remember that they act only as a group. They, right. they are policy setters, and they need to act as a group. However, yeah, not individual, uh, not individual bosses of the chief executive. Exactly, and and they need to uh, encourage the executive to be making appropriate process improvements as uh, as they go along. But they should not be stepping in to to assert their importance and their yeah, uh, not position. making the decisions themselves, but but exactly. creating a culture. Uh, to to challenge and, and ask the appropriate questions and to right. to seek the appropriate answers, not not to come in, roll up the sleeves, and do all the changes themselves without having the the context of running the day to day of the organization. Uh, Read again. We're uh, we're so thankful of you and Charity Channel Press. Uh, terrific book in the Prince's series, the Seven Deadly Sayings of Nonprofit Leaders and How to Avoid Them. Uh, Dr. Reed Zimmerman, how can my listeners reach you? Best way is for them to send me an email, and that is Reed A. Zimmerman, R-E-I-D-A-Z-I-M-M-E-R-M-A-N at gmail.com. And Reed, I'll be I can't happy to respond you, uh, to that. I can't thank you enough. Uh, I'm sure that you'll hear uh, from uh, from our, our listeners as they uh, start thinking about how they can challenge their own culture how they can challenge their board of directors and challenge themselves uh, to do exactly as you have challenged them to do, and that is to be effective, uh, to send a wake-up call to nonprofit boards and managers. We can't thank you enough for being uh, my guest here today on the Nonprofit Coach. Ted, it's been a pleasure. I always look forward to and enjoy a conversation like this, so appreciate the opportunity.
Terrific. Well, you're welcome back here anytime. Listeners, don't forget to extended version of the Nonprofit Coach next week, live from Nashville and the BBCon 2015 conference. Look forward to being on the conference floor uh, and getting a chance to speak to multiple guests next week, all of them experts speaking at the BBCon conference. And that is our show for today. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.